Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. So one of the common problems that I have often seen has to do with how people structure the scene itself. And a lot of new writers and even old writers, they have difficulty sensing when a scene is over. Sometimes they get out of the scene too soon and sometimes they get out of it too late. And it's very difficult sometimes to know when that scene has accomplished its purpose. Now, of course, there are purposes for scenes to exist, but a lot of times what has happened is people will think, oh, I've accomplished the goal and then I can get out. And yet it doesn't feel complete to us, the audience. And I finally put my finger on why. The other day I was having a session with one of my designated students who is a very accomplished novelist. And I was seeing this reality take place. And finally, because I was talking to somebody that was so seasoned in her own discipline, I was finally able to articulate what it was about it that is causing them not to complete the scene. So this is new for me to be able to put words to something I've seen for a long time. And I want to pass that on to you here because it's very exciting. So here's what happens when you're in a scene and you're doing all the things that we've talked about, you're setting the tone, you're introducing the character, you're setting up what's happening. Your character starts that scene at a particular emotional place. And the key to a good scene is that you don't want to get out of the scene until they change their emotional place until something happens that alters their emotional state. Even if it's ever so slightly, they have to emotionally go somewhere. They have to reach something new. And as soon as they do, that's when you can cut out of the scene. If you cut out before then we're like, well, what was the point of that scene? And then if you stay in the scene too long after that, it feels like, but the scene is over. Why are we still here? We need to move on because it's already accomplished some sort of emotional purpose. So let me give you an example. In the coaching session that I'm referring to, it's a romantic comedy type story. And so there were two things that the writers were trying to set up. They were first introducing the female lead. They wanted to show that she was absorbed in her work. And so we start out by meeting her as this character is sitting on the fire escape. And in that moment, she has books all around her. So there's life going on all around in the city of New York, but her head is buried in the books. And then they show that and then they immediately cut to the male lead on the other side of town and what he's doing. And the problem was, it felt like, well, why did we cut away? What, what was the point of the cut away? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. And the writer said, well, we introduced her and we just wanted to show those things. So isn't that enough? And it wasn't. And I couldn't put my finger on it until that very moment. The reason it wasn't is because nothing happened internally to that character. So what I recommended was, if you want to show her doing all those things, that was great. It was brilliant. It was a very visual way to set up this character and how she's so focused on work that she doesn't even notice life going on around her. That's great. But 
We also need to understand where she's at in her work career life in the sense of how good is she? How bad is she? How competitive is she? Where is she at professionally? So if they show her looking at all these things, the best way to get out of that scene is to have a moment where all of a sudden she notices something in the research that she's doing. Wait a minute. And then she compares it to something else. And now all of a sudden she's like, okay. And now she starts thumbing through. Now she's in a new place emotionally. She started out blithely doing research, but now something has triggered and invigorated her, which immediately gives the scene life and immediately creates interest on the part of the audience. And it feels like the character has ended the scene in a slightly new emotional place. Conversely then, when we cut to the love interest, the male, and he is in the kitchen and he's humming along to some music in the background. And then that's all they showed. So they did a good job of setting up the type of character he is. They described that he was very high class with his very expensive clothing and he's got this impeccable apron on and yet he's cooking these frittatas, which is kind of a hoity-toity meal. And he's got the opera and he's humming along to it. And yet nothing happened in the scene that allowed me to see some sort of emotional change. So when they cut out of that, there was no motivation for the cut because it didn't feel like anything had happened. So what I realized in that moment as I was talking to them is that it's not enough just to show that. You have to do something with it. So what we brainstormed was because in the story, they cut away and then later they cut back and his mother calls him. And I said, okay, move that up so that here he is happy, happy, you know, he's cooking, he's cooking. And all of a sudden his phone rings or his iPad rings so that we could even see mom come up and it, you know, it says mom and he can glance at his watch and go this early or huh, just on time. And now he's changed emotional places because it's brought him out of the emotional state that he started in. So it doesn't even have to be directly related to what he's doing. It just has to change slightly. He can still be in a good mood even, but now it's for a slightly different reason. Mom's calling. Yay. Which also allows us to know how he feels about mom. Or it could be that mom's calling. Ugh. Ooh, you know, ugh, dread. And now he's in a different emotional state. So the point is that every single scene has to do this. Every single scene has to do this. You have to take your character to a slightly new emotional place. But the other thing that it has to do is that you have to do it through visual images. See, you cannot tell me in a screenplay how the character is feeling or what he's thinking. You can only show me through the character's behavior. And by the way, part of a character's behavior is their dialogue. Dialogue is an extension of action. A character speaks as part of their action and too many times we separate that. But my point is, is that you can have dialogue help do that as long as the dialogue comes out of legitimate action. Because the action is the showing. 
The action is the showing. Now, I talked about visual cues. The most important thing that you will learn as a screenwriter is how to show me using visual cues. One thing that my designated student, Susie, commented on, she said, wow, I always knew that screenwriting was visual, but it's visual. She was like, it's way more visual than I even imagined. And it is. It is. Everything is visual. And you have to show me everything. You can't take anything for granted. You have to show me everything. But you have to do it with economy of language. So here's a great TV series, actually, for you to watch to learn about visual images. And it might sound strange, but it's Stranger Things. reason why Stranger Things is such a great example of this is because there was so much mythology that had to be communicated and yet they had to communicate it in a visual way because that's the only way that we the audience are going to relate to it we have to be shown so even complex things like the upside down the kids use a game board, put the board upside down, and show that there is a world, which is a mirror image of our own, but it's different. And so they show that visually to us. It's brilliant. But the other thing they have to show visually are when we're in the upside down. Look at all the times that we go in the upside down. It changes visually. There's vines that are everywhere. There's like creature limbs. Everything comes alive. There's like flakes, almost like it's ash from a volcano or snow, but dark and dingy. It's always floating. And that's one of the cues that we know that we're in the upside down. Also, one of the cues for the upside down are the chitters of the the little animals or the grumbling and growling or the wind. I mean, there's all sorts of cues. It's not just visual, it's auditory, but that's part of the visual cue. And also there's characters that respond directly to influences from the upside down that we have to show their superpower. For example, Will. Will is a character who spends quite a bit of time in the upside down because he's running and he's hiding from the big bad creature there. And so when Will is finally rescued, spoiler alert, when he's finally rescued and brought back to the present world, there are times where he is intruded upon psychically by the creature in the upside down, or he feels that creature's presence. So they have to show that with a visual cue. All they do every single time, they do this thing where they do a close up on the back of his neck and show goosebumps. And they show him freeze from behind where we just see the back of his neck. But that's a visual cue. Because we need to know that he's feeling it. But he can't always say, oh, I'm feeling something, guys. We show it through the visual cue, which makes it powerful. And it makes it spooky because we show it. It's just wonderful. There's visual cues all over the place in Stranger Things. 
What I want to encourage you to do is start looking for these things because they're all over. If it is a well done TV series or if it is a well made film, there are visual cues. Visual cues that you take for granted, that you don't even realize how crafted they were to help you to see those things. For example, what if you needed to show the evolution of a relationship? Well, then you need to come up with visual images that would help the audience see the transformation of that relationship visually. So here's just a random example. Let's say you've got two characters that don't particularly like each other. And one of them's kind of this scrawny guy and the other one's this big thug. And somehow they're in the cafeteria eating together and the scrawny guy reaches for the basket of bread on the table and the brawny guy grabs his wrist and pushes it back as if to say, uh-uh, you're not eating this bread. Scrawny guy, of course, gets the message and we can see now the status of that relationship. We've shown it without telling anything. Then let's say the scrawny guy has more umph than the brawny guy gives him credit for, and he does something. I don't know what it is, but he does something. So now the scrawny guy finds himself at the table with the brawny guy again, and he sees the basket. But then what if the brawny guy reaches for the basket and hands it over, not even looking. He's just shoveling food into his mouth, but he holds the basket out. So now the scrawny guy knows to take the thing. What have we just shown? We've shown visually that that guy, the scrawny guy has earned the respect of the big guy. That is a visual image. It might be a strange example. And I know I'm coming up with these on the top of my head, but the point is those are the types of things you're looking for. So you take these for granted. You see them so often, you don't realize they were crafted by the writer. You don't realize that they had to be written into the script in some way. We've just gotten so used to seeing visual images that we have forgotten how hard they are to come up with, especially when it comes to our own work. And so this is actually a real area of artistry for you to focus on. And it starts with you observing. Remember, anytime you're watching a television show or a movie that does this well, they were crafted. They didn't happen by accident. They were written. And so take note of that because you'll learn so much just by starting to be aware of it instead of oblivious to it because you're so used to it. And then as you start trying to practice it yourself in your own work, you're going to find that it comes more naturally and it's more organic. Now, in addition, there's one last area that I want to address. And that is, I want you to think about how to end each scene on the character, him or herself, because at the end of the day, that's who we care about. At the end of the day, this is a journey for your character that we are being invited to participate in. And if we don't connect emotionally to your character, then we will not care about the story. We certainly won't care about anything that happens if we don't care about the character. And what you want to do, since I mentioned that we want to try to bring your character to a new emotional state, 
in the scene. It means that the scene should end somehow, as much as possible, on the character themselves, so that we can see where they are at emotionally. That's part of the visual cue that we're talking about for the story arc itself. Every scene, we should have a clear, direct line of insight into your character, so that we can interpret their internal emotional state. So that's one aspect of visual cues that I think you should be looking for when you watch movies or television shows. But it's also part of what I would like to see you start incorporating into your scene work itself. Find a way to always end on the character, or if it's not the character, your main character, then a sub-character, or the enemy, the antagonist, or the best friend, or whatever the case may be. Have it end on whichever character is the most emotionally jangled up or the most emotionally changed over the course of that scene. The character that is emotionally in a different place. That's how you should try to be ending all of your scenes. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to The Storyteller's Mission with Zena Delwell. May you go forth inspired to change the world for the better through story.